Hello and welcome to the Recreation to Recreation podcast, the show where we explore the stories of people who have turned the activity that they love into positive change for our world. My name is Jen, and I'll be your sidekick on this adventure as we treasure hunt for gems of insight and wisdom while exploring the planet with our inspiring guests. For today's adventure, we're heading to Antigua, the UK, and beyond with Ruben to explore his world of music, passion, and live performance. Hi, Ruben. How are you? I'm very well, Jenny. All good here from the UK. How's it all going with you? I'm really, really good. It's so funny. I Nobody calls me Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it Jenny? Jen? Jennifer? Or is it- Honestly, I have had many iterations of my name over the years. Okay. When I actually moved to the UK, it was the first time someone called me Jenny and it was on a report card. So now I feel like oh. I'm back in high school. <laughs> Under pressure. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's all good. You can call me Jen, Jenny, Jennifer. I won't even go down the path with Ruben. There's so many different ways of saying Rubes, Ruben, boobs, whatever. All of that, (laughs) right? Everyone, I've got so many different nicknames for myself, sir. I understand, but I'll I'll remember. How would you like to be called? Jen? Jen works perfectly. Jen. (laughs) What's happening, Jen? Well, Jennifer, I always feel like I'm in trouble, so. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Oh my God, such a perfect start. Before we get rolling, I'd love if you can tell us where you are, what it's like there, and get us situated in your world. Okay, so um, I live in a town called Brighton, which is right by the sea down the south England. I'm right by the beach, and it's not like one of those famous beaches you used to see around the world. There's full of pebbles, (laughs) so we don't have the sand down here. So I know that normally puts off a lot of people. But someone like myself, and you probably see from the pictures, I have dreads. And I've learned my lesson from being on the Caribbean island that sand in the dreads does become a nuisance after a while. (laughs) So I'm feeling very blessed to have no sand down here. Probably not a lot of people are going to support my view, but I'm enjoying it. I love this place. It's got such a great energy about it and a great community. I love that because most people would probably be like, hmm, pebbles, how annoying. <laughs> a lot of people, not just some. A lot this is why everything is subjective. Definitely. I'm being very selfish with my views because ideally sand is the one. I'm trying to make a, the best of a good situation here, which is with the pebbles. I get to see the sea. I got mm-hmm. a view of the sea from my bedroom. I love that. It's so, so good for my mental health and anyone's health, really. Seeing water regularly is such a powerful way to live your life. Around connections, connection with that water. And I think I got that connection through living out in Antigua. Mm. Being a city boy, because I came from London and went out there, it's just I never got to see a lot of the sea and experience that. And being in Antigua, living right by the beach and being able to travel on sailboats on the sea, I got a real connection with the sea. And I made the decision when I came back to the UK, I was going to move down to a town or somewhere which is right by the sea. And that's where, where I'm at right now. And I think it's really important for us to have respect and admiration for beaches that aren't perfectly sandy and have crystal clear waters and all of that stuff, because there's something really magical. I live near the beach in Ontario. It is currently winter, so (laughs) everything is ice. And also we have a lot of rocks. And although on the way into the water, do I not appreciate them? Probably. However... 
they're very beautiful and they're all different colors and there's something always to be enjoyed. When I have a friends come up and visit and their children and all that, one way or another, they're collecting a memory from the beach because there's so many like bells, different cool stones, rocks. I've known that when people get down there, they've never complained or made a fuss of the stones. Everyone seems to enjoy the stones once they're there because you're right there. It creates this great picture when the sun's out and it's reflected on the sea. Mm-hmm. The last thing you're concerned about is the stones and what you're sitting on or walking on. Because that beauty itself is mesmerizing. Your attention's taken towards that, then worried about whether it's sand or not. Judging by the amount of people I see down there in summer, it is like sardines down there <laughs> on our beach. <laughs> Everyone is squashed. We get a lot of tourists. Yeah, the beaches are crazy busy when it's summer. So a lot of people, it doesn't bother. It also creates a really interesting sound, I think. Yeah, you could say that when it draws out. It's like a shh, because it's coming through all the rocks and the Mm -hmm. stones and so on. So it's quite interesting that you picked that up. Yeah. I'm quite quite impressed you picked that up because that is definitely one thing you notice when you get real close to when the sea's coming in is the sound. You get a lot of those noises, which is quite soothing for a lot of people. You see a lot of people meditating, doing their yoga, even some people going into the sea. And if anyone knows, England is cold. <laughs> so to get into the sea in England, uh, it's definitely, you need to be definitely strong-willed and you you definitely need to have a wetsuit. <laughs> because, I mean, some people here, they don't use a wetsuit. I'll be using a wetsuit if I was getting into that sea at this time of year. Well, that's because you're used to Antigua. <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely climatized Antigua, even though the locals in Antigua used to say, what are we doing when we used to be swimming in there? Mm. They thought it was cold. Mm-hmm. And we were like swimming around and thinking, this is great. It's all relative. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've already sort of delved in here, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> I think we've talked for hours, but I do actually have yeah. some weird and wonderful questions okay. that I'd like to ask you. So these don't really have anything to do with anything. They're just weird and wonderful and they bring me a lot of joy. So let's let's go for it. Okay. What is something you're really good at, but perhaps you've taken for granted? And you can't say saxophone. Oh man, that's it. <laughs> that well, um, I think acting. Hmm. Yeah, when I was at school, acting was my my go to, as I loved doing the big performances on the stage, reading the scripts, hmm. and playing the character. Yeah, I would say definitely acting would be the one for me. How interesting. Okay, cool. Hmm. And you know, we're going to talk about performance later. So, if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Hmm. Anyone? Okay, this is a good one. I like that. Mm. Um, Bob Marley. Oh, good choice. Reason why, it was probably a lot more I wanted to know about him that we didn't get because we didn't have social media back then. Mm. And I think he had something more than just being a human being. He's like a massive spirit. And I would have been fascinated with his thought process with his music. Yeah, absolutely. And his views. Well, yeah. I mean, they were intrinsically interlinked. That was yeah. his way of communicating to the Definitely. world, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, get in line. I think there's going to be a lot of people <laughs> at that. There's going to be a lot of people at that table. <laughs> get in line. Yes, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's okay. We'll pull up some extra chairs. <laughs> All right. What are your first thoughts in the morning? My first thoughts in the morning. Uh... It normally takes a couple of things, but I would say 
typical, which is not interesting, is what we're going to tick off the list today. Mm. I've always got a list of things that I need to achieve. So always when I wake up, it's like, what are we going to achieve with working towards where we're trying to get to today? And that's it. And I normally just kind of go through the list, work out the list in my head, and then execute. Nice. What is a hidden gem somewhere you've lived that you think people should experience? Straight away, Dominica. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that place still up to now is like a fantasy island, like a massive rainforest. As soon as you come off the plane, you're just mm-hmm. hearing water everywhere. There's a lot of treks you can do. You've got waterfalls everywhere. The people there are absolutely amazing. The food's amazing. Where I stayed was in a place called Coco Village. So we had chocolate grown in pods. Walking through the rainforest, you've got these sulfur pools where you could just dip it in, actually heated. Ah, I can't say anything more. And you're in this rainforest where you've got so much life, nature, and nothing harms you. Everything mm. in that rainforest is harmonious. Mm. Um, I, I've, I have never come across a place like it. So that would be my place, Dominica. Yeah, such a good choice. I was very fortunate enough to sail there. For people who are looking for something different, it has its own magic. Well, just by what you're saying, because, uh, you know, when you said people go there trying to hopefully find something they're looking for. Mm. Well, I'll give you a quick, tiny little story. Mm-hmm. Because I went there with Amy. She was a keyboard player in mm-hmm. the band I was in. And a friend of hers who worked on the boat said, he had been there two months before and he said he had left us something behind a waterfall in a cave and he had to go on the Trafalgar Trek. So we got there, we swam all the way across to the waterfall and went into the uh, cave. <laughs> Obviously the acoustics is crazy. So I'm like, Amy, Amy, it's all going around. And then I'm looking around thinking, where could this be? So I'm digging around and then my hand hit something hard. I pulled it out of the dirt and it was a bottle of rum that our good (laughs) friend had left us, the treasure. And I came out for one of the moments in the movie, I just burst through the waterfall with this rum in my hand and all these other tourists must have thought there was a lot more in that cave. So they all came swimming towards me as if there was more in there, but they didn't know uh, that was just for me. So that was a great (laughs) little reward for me and Amy and we enjoyed that rum. It went down very well. I'm sure it did. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So, so good. Okay. If you had to wear only one color for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Orange. Um, Orange is my, my favorite color. It also represents for me on the spiritual level, it's like the Buddha's colors for, for peace. Mm-hmm. And it's a color that I find that no matter what time of year around, it brings positive energy for me mm-hmm. whenever I see it. And um, pretty much once people get to know me and follow what I do, you'll notice with all social media posts and all that, um, orange is pretty much coordinated into most of the stuff I do. Yeah, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. What's one good memory you have that's so vivid it feels like yesterday? There's so many. I've been so blessed. I'm just trying to think like there's so many good, good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, just experiencing the, us doing the, the crossing from Antigua to St. Martin's. Mm-hmm. It was a moment where I just kind of looked and I had to pinch myself because it was like, I'm on this boat. We're, I'm with the band. We're going across to do a gig. We've got dolphins swimming next to us. Mm-hmm. 
they love the waves. So mm-hmm. They're just having the best time. And I just thought, this moment, I just, wa- I just want to remember this because I've never thought I would ever get in that position and experiencing what I was experiencing. And I think that just connected with the whole of getting away from the UK and finding this place and saying I'm exactly where I should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the memory. Yeah. yeah. And isn't it so, I mean, I think it's like the superpower. Well, I mean, there's many superpowers of being human, but one of them is our ability to pull up memories. And obviously this goes for maybe memories that we've labeled as negative as well, but mm-hmm. to be able to feel the way that we felt at the time is such a powerful thing to be able to do because then we can bring that forward into our daily life, regardless of where we are. Well, it felt like I just found myself again. Mm. I think that was the moment which I wanted to hold on to because it was like, oh, it was good to be with me again because life can be just so distracting. And I find I was so distracted with the the system in London and, and the UK. It was just, it was just nice to be, just have that moment. I suppose being on the boat and sea, you can, you've got nothing else around you to be distracting except for just be there. And I think that's probably why it hit me the most. And that's probably why it's just come to the surface now because mm. I have multiple ones, but that one for me was the, the one where I felt like I just got me back again. And yeah, that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I call it the water bubble. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's what it's called. All right. You go out there and then, you know, everything else sort of fades away and you, and it's kind of like meditating, right? Where we, everything else we kind of pull away And then Mm -hmm. it allows you to actually see what's there and what's with you and who you are. I find going out onto the ocean like that facilitates that same sort of feeling. So thank you for sharing that with me because it reminds me of a lot of good times for myself as well. Amazing. Absolute pleasure. So I usually like to start these interviews with a bit of an origin story. So I'd love to know, who are you? Where did you grow up? What it's been like being Ruben? So I grew up in uh, Northwest London. In the area, that's pretty much where most of my family are from. On my mother's side, that side of the family are from Barbados. And on my dad's side, he was adopted at birth. So we know there's connections somewhere, but we don't know the the family tree on that side because he was adopted at birth. Once people get to see my face, I've got a lot of freckles. So we don't know where the freckles have come from. <laughs> I know they've come from dad, but we don't know where they've come from beyond my dad. I've also got a bit of ginger when I was younger in my hair. So so when I was growing up, I'm mixed race. My dad's mixed race. My mom's black. And I got into music because my family are very music orientated. Uh, my uncles are like all performers, dancers, singers. Mm. Um, whenever there was a Chanda party, everyone was just showing off that they still can dance or they can still sing or do their moves and it was such a vibe and energy so I grew up with that energy all around and then when I got into school and they was like introducing music for the first time they introduced this instrument called a recorder mm-hmm. and any excuse <laughs> it was like the first <laughs> instrument so I remember coming back home like mom I need a recorder she was like mm-hmm. okay so she got me one it's, it's, if I look back it's a horrible sound yeah but for us kids I mean it was I mean when we had to do like the concert back then and the parents had to come in. I mean, I look back, I feel sorry for the parents. <laughs> they had to listen to that chorus of all the recorders playing mm-hmm. together. It was like, but I learned, it was like the beginning of my journey because the recorder put me in good stead for when I decided that I wanted to play the saxophone. 
normally in school they would want you to learn they would try to push you that but i was so not interested in violin or cello nothing against those instruments but it wasn't it wasn't clicking with me i knew that i had this toy saxophone from a famous place called fisher price <laughs> brand right and i had this silver saxophone i remember just asking my mom one day if i could have a real one she's like yeah of course but then she showed me some music which had some saxophone in it. It's probably one of my favorite tracks of all time for the saxophone. It's a song called Morning Dance by a group called Spira Gyra. The saxophone on there just put me in a trance of me falling in love with the sound of the saxophone. So I went to school, I auditioned to play the saxophone, and I didn't get in the first year around mm. because I couldn't blow it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I remember feeling so disheartened. My friends in the class, which wasn't as passionate as I was, had got through. Mm. So every week you see them leave the class to go and practice the saxophone. And I'll be sitting there envious of them. And then it came to the following year, past the audition, because I thought this ain't happening twice. I passed all the guys who had done, uh, started the year before me within three months. The teacher saw how fast I was moving. Moved me to private uh, lessons where I lived with my mum. And then I'd done all my grades. So I started playing saxophone at nine. Professional saxophonist at the age of 14. I completed all my grades. Joined the School of Young Musicians, Harrow School of Young Musicians. And that was the saxophone journey all the way up to probably late teens. Wow. I always like to ask, you know, what's the nature of your passion? Is it like a light bulb moment, slow burn, forever and always? <laughs> this is very clear. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely a light bulb. It was like it just mm-hmm. everything. It was just something I found easy. Mm-hmm. I hate to be that person, but my mom was very smart because I was more passionate about playing football mm-hmm. than the saxophone. But my mom, before I even could touch a saxophone, when I, I didn't even think we, I was going to get one. But that day when it arrived, and I remember she called me. I was playing football outside. She called me into the flat where we were living because we grew up in the estate. Mm-hmm. We didn't have much any money, really. So it's not like, even though I said, could I have it? I doubt I'm going to have a saxophone. Yeah, so it's a big deal. It was massive. And I come into the living room and it's out the case and it's standing up on its side. Oh, wow. And I was like, stunned. And I went to touch it and she was like, "Mm -mm -mm." (laughs) (laughs) mm-mm-mm. And I remember looking at it. She had a contract. It was like, I, Ruben Chandra, would play the saxophone every day Mm -hmm. until I get to my grade eight. And in my head, it was like, of course I will. And I just signed it. Then for her to make sure I was encouraged to play the saxophone every day, and that was easy enough because I was, but just to guarantee I was, she said, look, just give me half an hour on the sax and you can play as much football as you want after. Mm. For me, it was so easy because it was a win-win. One, I enjoyed playing the saxophone, and then it meant I could just do as much football as I wanted after. So when practicing the saxophone and having to complete what the teacher had given me, I just found it so easy. I found it so rewarding. And I felt like coming from where I was in that background, that I had something I could use to represent myself and my mum and the family, something which could um, be in good stead for the future. But I didn't understand where it was going to go. Mm-hmm. But it just felt like I was good at something. Everything back then in school, everyone had their thing and saxophone was my thing. Mm. Well, first of all, just a nod to your mum for being such a wise woman. <laughs> Smart. That makes a lot of sense as to why now your morning thoughts are always, okay, what's my to-do list? You probably got this contract with yourself of, okay, what do I need to do before I get to do that? Or I get you to know do what? that. That is a very good point. Well mm. spotted. Yes, that Fine. is a contract with myself. Yeah. 
You can I thank like your that. mom for that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I will tell her that. Her wisdom goes on. It's interesting that you say it just came so easily to you. And I personally believe that we all have something like that. We all have whatever you want to call it, a talent, a skill, a gift that we naturally have within us and we just have to find it. I think when we find those things, and they come in so many different shapes and forms, right? It doesn't have to be something like music. Yeah. It can be anything, really. Mm -hmm. But I think that they are our pathways to finding flow. Time just disappears. And you know, like we were talking about earlier about being fully present with whatever you're doing, that is what mm -hmm. that feels like to me. And it's not that there isn't work involved in learning and experimenting, but I think when you find that thing or those things, because sometimes it could be multiple things, mm -hmm. it just feels like you're playing. Yeah. It's funny because listening back to what you're just saying, just triggered off a few little words in my head. Like, I think one of the things I've learned with playing with the sax is discipline, mm. which I feel like if you put your mind to a lot of things that you enjoy or you're passionate about or you want to achieve, being disciplined gets sometimes underlooked of how important mm -hmm. it is. And I didn't understand it. It was just very good how my mom kind of created that with, in a disguise without me knowing that it, what I was doing <laughs> was disciplined because I was kind of disciplined to practice in it because so, I wanted to play football. But also disciplined because I like to be challenged. I wanted to see if I can achieve or, or complete it. And every song was the teacher would kind of give me a harder song each time. We're like, all right, try this one. I just looked at it as a challenge and I thought, let's have a go. I think there's all little factors which kind of kind of all fitted with my direction with this and why the saxophone worked with me and, and music itself. But it was the starting. It's like the saxophone is, has always been the key that opened up different doors a lot on my journey. Mm. And and we'll kind of go through this, I think, through through the podcast. But um there's the saxophone was the beginning. You were saying I kind of feel bad about being that person. <laughs> this came naturally to me. For sure, if you want to, you know, soak in that until your fingers get all pruny. But I think actually what it does is it it indicates to all of us that if we just, you know, continue following the things that we are passionate about, the things that make us feel good, the things that we get excited about, eventually we are going to unlock what it is that allows us to feel flow in our daily life. And I yes. do want to talk later about mm -hmm. turning your passion into your bread and butter because it is yeah. a it's a wild journey that I have also experienced. And sometimes it's fantastic. And other times it is one of the greatest challenges because as with anything it has its pros and cons. But I'm just wondering mm -hmm. for those who, and I'm sure that they have in certain ways, maybe they're not aware of it because I think that it happens at different ages and stages. But if if there's someone who's listening who feels like they haven't experienced that feeling yet of flow, if that's the word that we were to choose mm -hmm. to use, would you be able to describe what it feels like in your experience when you feel like you're in that state? Okay. When you're in a flow state, everything just feels easy. That's the only way I can really give the basics of understanding. When you're in the flow, things just come to you. Sometimes it's you're not even thinking because it becomes instinctive. Mm. And when you're using your instincts, which I feel like we neglect because we create barriers and we sometimes do not trust, when you kind of let go and you do trust yourself, and it's taken moments of me being put into awkward, not awkward situations, but uncomfortable situations along my journey with the, with the, let's say, 
example, the saxophone, like getting up and doing a solo for the first time, you're nervous and all that. But once you complete something, you see that you do, it's a confidence. And then next time you do a, so- a solo, it's more of a flow because one, you trust yourself and then you're a lot more comfortable. Only from my experience, I found that through performing and this journey I've been on with music itself, the flow has become more instinctive than it being forced out with me trying to force something to happen. It's normally instinctively just happen. And that's why I always say it becomes easy. Like um, that's when I find things where they kind of happen without me thinking, how have they happened? They've just happened and flowed out that way. Mm. I'm sure that that not only is going to resonate with people who are listening, but for those who are excited about finding that, let go a little bit. No, it's true. I think that is the whole thing, letting go. No resistance. And that's resistance, not from outside, but also from yourself, from within. No resistance from within. And just just smile as you as you do things. I think one of the most important ones is value, no matter whether you do something good or wrong or whatever. Just value it. Acknowledge it. But support yourself with whatever you do. We're so quick to be disappointed with ourselves instead of being quick to value ourselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think too, things that are creative, there is no wrong way of doing it. Okay, you don't hit the right notes, that's one thing. But in terms of being creative and doing creative things, it's all about the experience of doing it, not about the actual end result. I definitely agree. When I used to wake up, it's kind of a little sketch, which I wrote on the wall. And the saying is, there's no right way only your way. Mm. And I feel like sometimes people are always trying to look towards like what that person's doing, what that person's doing. But whatever feels right for you, that's your way. And that means it's good. And that's how I try to keep myself with everything what goes on in the world very simple. Yeah, I love that. Let's talk a little bit more about your journey. We met, I think it was 2016. It was Falmouth Harbor in Antigua. Yes. And at that time, you were in a band called Sound Citizens, and you had released an album called Swank, which actually I still have the CD. Let's just... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Swank, yes. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I'd love to hear perhaps a little bit more. So we, we were talking about how you grew up, and by 14, you were professionally playing saxophone. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go from 14. How did this all come? Like, how did you end up in Antigua? Beautiful. I'm so glad this is a podcast and there's no limits on here (laughs) because this is a journey. 14, I was at music school and there's many different levels. You start off a junior band, then you kind of go into intermediate band, senior band, concert band, and then you get to this top two orchestras, which are called the Symphonic Winds and the Philharmonic Orchestra. When you get to those two, That means at the end of the year of playing there, you get to tour a location. So with us, we got to tour Prague, Venice. Mm. And those things were my first experience as a musician mixing with alcohol. Mm. One thing I learned, and my mum probably thought, she was always thinking when I was going out, oh, I don't want you mixing around with that lot because I know what they're going to be up to. But the place she did not think <laughs> <laughs> anything would be happening <laughs> was music school. <laughs> and everything happened in that place. That <laughs> place was just, oh, we used to go on tours and used to take three coach loads of us on tour. 
there was everyone from certain backgrounds, different backgrounds, but majority were from a certain middle class background. Everyone's waving to their parents like, bye, mom. Have a, yeah, we love you, blah, blah, blah. As soon as the coach gets around the corner, the hair's out, the wildness, the drinks are out, everything was happening. That's when I first started to feel like this is where I need to be. I love the whole music culture. If this is all part of it, I was young. I was very influential. I was taken under the wing by these two of my besties right now. Their name is um, Haggis and Gavin. They're a trombone and trumpet player. And they were about five years older than, than me, but they kind of took me under the, underneath their wing. They thought I had proper potential uh, <laughs> to follow, follow their footsteps. And we've been with best friends ever since. And then that whole journey kind of finished when I was about 17, 18, because I, I loved the tours. Hit, I hit the top and I thought, right, there's nowhere else I can go from here. So one rehearsal, I remember I was halfway through the rehearsal and these are the moments you've got to always remember. And I hope anyone listening can take note. I had this feeling before, that's it. That's enough of this. So halfway through the rehearsal, like the break, I just packed up my saxophone, gave a wink to a couple of the people saying, that's me over. And they kind of acknowledged it, not letting the teacher know. And that was it. I never went back to music school then. I didn't want to make a fuss. I didn't want to leave and party. I just thought, this is completed. So from then on, I was a little bit at a stage of like, I played so much of the saxophone from nine to pretty much 18. A lot of playing. I was practicing all the time. I was also learning the clarinet and piano. And the purpose of learning those other two instruments, my mum had the amazing vision that I was going to go to the Royal School of Young Musicians. Mm. I definitely knew I wasn't. She had it in her head. And I learned those three instruments thinking that could be a possibility. But I didn't know what was calling me, but I knew that wasn't it. When I went to college, and this would link on to me and um, one of your questions earlier, because I wanted to change up from doing the sax and doing music. I thought, let me try something different. So I joined a course called the Performing Arts. It was all about acting, dancing, and all that. And I thought it was such a great course because it wasn't, I, I've been doing the sax for so long, it was good to change that up and do something different. So I'd done that for a year and I loved it. I had so many great characters. Then one of the lunch times, just coming towards the end of the year, I was walking down the corridor and I walked past this room and I see this guy sitting there with headphones on, a keyboard and a computer in front of him. Now, to show my age, <laughs> right, because where I'm about to go now is definitely going to show my age. I go up to the guy and I said, what are you doing? And he goes to me, I'm writing a song. And I was like, what do you mean you're writing a song? And he goes, listen, so I put the headphones on. And I'm listening to everything and I can hear the drums, I can hear the bass, I can hear the keyboards and all this. And I said, you're telling me you've done all of that from this keyboard? And he goes, yeah. And I remember the world, my world, everything just went bright. I said, what is this? Where can I learn this? And he goes, oh, there's a course it's in this college. It's called the Popular Music Course. And that for me was the game changer to where I'm at now because... I just knew that I wanted to understand the bigger picture about music. I wanted to understand the other elements. I had the saxophone element, but I wanted to know what the drummer does. I wanted to know how what the bass player does. I wanted to know what the strings do. So I went and done this course for a whole year. And it's probably the best time for me for my education because we'll go into the class. The teacher will come in and go, right, everyone sit by your computer, put your headphones on, write me a song, and he'll walk out. 
And we're all in the class, like we all look at each other, big smiles. Like I've never known a classroom where everyone is smiling. And all we did all day was write music. With that in mind, I knew, I said to my parents, because mum and dad had the idea that I was going to go to university. I made the decision that I thought, well, that money you saved up for university, could we have a discussion about it? Because I actually feel like I know what I want to do. And we had a discussion. They saw how I was committed with the saxophone. They saw my passion. So they gave me the money to invest into the first part of building my studio in the bedroom. I was definitely one of the first in my area to have that because people who wanted to record music had to book time in the studio. I was definitely the beginning of a generation of bedroom producers. Me and my friend Rob, we decided to put a little duo together and work out how this all worked, all this equipment we was, which we were using. We decided to call ourselves B4W Between Four Walls. And we want to be a generation that represented bedroom music. So hence the name Between Four Walls, B4W. To be honest, no one saw us for a couple of years in my early mm-hmm. 20s. Like anybody who asked, where's Ruben or Rob? We were too busy every day learning our trade, focused on learning this and kept writing music. We wrote so many tracks just trying to learn how this all works. While that was all happening, I was joining up with different bands and projects because I was well into this music. I was joining up with friends. I'll be talking like I do music. We were all connect saying, hey, oh, I played the guitar. Oh, I played the drum. So should we put a band together? So we'll go to rehearsals. We'll jam out some of this. So I've been at least two or three bands in my 20s, which were great fun. One was called The Wax Project. Because I started it and there was a famous lady, her name was Ruby Wax. I'm not sure if you remember her back in the days. Mm-hmm. But due to my name being Ruben and people used to call me Ruby, they called me <laughs> Wax. And then they thought, oh, you should call this The Wax Project. So the other one, one was called Jigsaw. We were going down that kind of heavy dark kind of place with our music which was it was great to explore but it was different and then another one was called Torino Scale which was a lot more out of space but it doesn't mean we were out of space but the music was <laughs> <laughs> that's all I want to say we went out of space but then that was pretty much my most of my 20s and then by mistake I got into being a promoter it fell on our lap and it linked with me and Rob because one day our mate came in called Ed and we were just producing in my bedroom and he goes guys you need to get your music out of this goddamn bedroom because you've been missing for too long and me and Rob looked at each other like we don't think we're ready he goes no I'm not hearing it I'm throwing a boat party I want you guys to organize the music for it I want you to play your music on it as well can you do that for me and we're like "Uh, okay so we talked to each other, we thought, well, what kind of music do they want at this party? So we thought, all right, we have a bit of hip hop, we have a bit of garage, we have a bit of breakbeat, we have a bit of house, we have drum and bass. We have a DJ doing all styles and we'll get to play our stuff as well. So Boat Party was on the famous River Thames mm-hmm. in London and the party was amazing. One, we got to play our music out for the first time instead of it being stuck in the bedroom. And the other thing is, at the end, when everyone was coming out, we heard this girl I always remember her saying it was amazing having all different styles under one roof. Mm. When I looked at my friend and he looked at me before we knew what our name was going to be for throwing parties. And we created the biggest boat parties on the River Thames called Under One Roof. They were epic, became a promoter, which I didn't know I was going to become. And then 
after that, that was coming towards the end of my 20s. And then into my early 30s, just where I thought it was the right time to end the parties, I was in a long-term relationship and then we broke up and I was a bit broken from it. Mm. And then my good friend, Amy, which I've known since school, which is the keyboard player within Sound, Sound Citizens. And funny enough, me and her met in the school band. Oh, I think I was playing clarinet. She was playing clarinet. She messaged, emailed me saying, she's in Antigua. Why don't you just come out here for a couple of weeks? <laughs> take, your, take your mind off this um, breakup. I was a little bit like still a bit down thinking, is this the right thing? But mm-hmm. then at the end of her email, she's like, oh, by the way, bring your saxophone. <laughs> sold <laughs> <laughs> but you know what the crazy thing right is that I hadn't been playing a lot of the saxophone in my 20s as mm-hmm. much as i had been playing it in my 30s coming into my 40s because I put a lot of attention into producing so when she said that I was just like oh really you want me to bring the saxophone like I'm thinking I'm, I need to dust off the cobwebs or whatever but mm-hmm. I said all right so I brought the saxophone on, the, on its first level trip to the island and I've got to say, those two weeks were probably the biggest game changer in my life because I was in a job where I was just driving around. It's a driving job for about eight years, trying to work out how to get out of it while in the evening producing and doing the band stuff. Mm. And this two weeks in Antigua, I got to meet these other musicians from all different parts of the world. We all just had a jam together. I think it was on the, as soon as I arrived, I think it could have been even that evening. And then the following day, they were like, oh, should we just do a jam at this local place, which was called, do you remember a place called The Lime Bar? Yes, I do. Yep. Yep. That was the first place I'd done my first gig mm. at The Lime Bar. It went off. It went so well. And the thing is, we didn't have our own music then by then, but we were just playing remixes and covers of famous songs that people knew, but they, we caused the roadblock. Then we went down and we got offered to play at Ruster Shack. Then we got asked to play at Abracadabras. And then we ended, and this is over two weeks, and then I ended at Pineapple Apartments, which is right there opposite Skullduggery. I remember having the best two weeks of my life, playing the saxophone, living what I felt like I should be living. But I knew it was coming towards the end. And I probably had the biggest come down when I came back to the UK because it was like a reality. Six months later, I get a... Back in the day, so this is showing how dated we are. <laughs> I had a Skype call mm-hmm. from Bruno, which is the bass player in the band. And he goes, hey, man. And I didn't know he was recording this, but he was saying, look, we're all going to leave our jobs from our different parts of the world. We're looking to do this full time. Are you ready to leave your job? And I said, this is the band I've dreamt of. Brazil, they released a documentary called The Sailing Band. And that documentary starts off with me saying, this is the band I've dreamt of. And it basically follows the story of the beginnings of pretty much Sound Citizens before they were called Sound Citizens. Check that out. And that was the journey as it brings you up to the presence of Antigua. And then I left, I handed my notice with work. And then I thought, right, here I go. I got to the airport with my sacks and my luggage and really hit me. What am I doing? I didn't think I would be hit with that emotion, but Mm. I got hit hard with that emotion because I was leaving everything I know, leaving everyone I love, going into a place that is unknown to me. I only had two weeks holiday there and I'm ready to try to build something there, which I don't know what's going to happen. 
It was a lot, but the sax, the journey with me and the sax have been on, the music itself, it told me to just take that leap of faith and see where it goes. And I'll be honest with you, I'm so glad that I did. Wow. Just thinking about someone who's listening to this who might be in a similar space where they're wondering whether to take the leap, what would be your words of wisdom for them? Trust. There's this thing inside us which we don't really listen to. We've all got this guide. We know what feels good and feels right. We know what's worth taking a risk. But sometimes we can just let other things distract us from taking that risk and we miss opportunities. It was scary, but sometimes we just all need to just take a leap of faith to go into something we unknown of and know that we can go into it and trust ourselves that whatever happens when we do that leap of faith, that we'll be able to work it out and know what to do next with trust with ourselves and our instincts. And I always go back to instincts because instincts is a big part of what came to the surface after I'd done that, because that leap of faith made me who I am now and changed a lot in my life. Mm, yeah, that really resonates with me too. I I think that whatever you want to call that inner voice, whether it's intuition or your best self or the part of you that knows where you're meant to go and what you're meant yeah. to do. You're right. Like it's it's hard to discern sometimes because those leaps of faith can feel so scary and they can at the time when you're making them, there's this weird mixture of of fear and excitement, right? And over the years, I've tried to hone in on what type of fear it is. And I've realized a lot of the time when I'm making a decision that feels scary, if it feels urgent, that's the type of thing that I always go, okay, I need to take a step back and look at this again. Mm -hmm. But there's a totally different type of I'm not even going to call it fear because it's it's not really fear. It's like, a, I don't even have a word for it yet. It's something where it, this actually feels strangely natural. Like I'm yes. comfortably uncomfortable. If that's the closest I can get to it. So if anybody out there has a better way of putting that, please <laughs> <laughs> let us know. But for me, like that's how I, that's the only way that I can explain it. Yeah. I, I say without getting deep, but I feel like, this is the podcast too. I feel like everything's really mapped out. We've just got to trust the path we walk along. I feel sometimes with us, it's we we have to make that decision. But I feel like a lot of it's already already happened. We're just catching up to it. What I mean by that is when I got to Antigua, even though it was new to me, it did not feel strange. When I met the people I've met along my journeys, I, I know they were new, but they didn't feel like strangers. Mm-hmm. When I've achieved what I've achieved and I look back, I say, did that happen? But it did, you know? So a lot of this from my journeys feels like this was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier about releasing resistance. Mm -hmm. Is It's like, okay, when you actually just get out of the way, (laughs) (laughs) things can start to come together, right? Because we're not forcing something. There was no part of the Antigua experience that you forced it to come to fruition. They were invitations from the outside and you had the choice to say, okay, am I going to do this or am I not going to do this? And actually, as you said, listen to that intuition, listen to those instincts to say, okay, right now, even though this feels risky, 
it's a risk worth taking. That's it. Don't you find that sometimes people, I've come across even some of my closest, they're happy just to stay with everything that's safe. It's on repeat. And they feel like when something's on repeat, they're secure. I've tried to explain to them that I broke from the repeat. I went out there and I explored something. I've come back even more. And I feel for them, it's very hard to kind of break that security. But I wish I could encourage more people to do that because you get to learn so much more about yourself and so much more about what's out there than kind of just staying within a small area of where you're at and just thinking that's life. That's just me personally what I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think both of us are similar in that we like exploration. We like doing things that are outside of the box and and trying new things. Not that it's not scary and it's not like we naturally go, oh, yeah, I'm just going to throw it all out the window. You know, there's thought <laughs> that goes into it and there is discernment when it comes to that. And I like to think that everybody's on their own journey and people take their own risks in their own ways. Like externally, it might not look like that person's taking risks, but they might be in their own little way, small little bits every day where they're trying to do something, right? Like we're all so different in the way that we do things. So for some of us, it's really loud. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And then for others, it might be a little bit more subtle. I was thinking too about what you were saying in terms of when you've met people along the journey Mm -hmm. where you feel like you've met them before. How did you put it? They weren't new to you. You just met them. It's like they're they're new to you, but it feels like you've known them for a while. It's like no surprise that you've met them because uh-huh. you were supposed to meet them. And I suppose on a spiritual level, that's the universe. Certain people are supposed to come across your path uh-huh. at certain times in your life. One, share an experience with you or to encourage you with something or to remind you of something. And I find, I found a lot of that on my journey. But I needed to step out of the UK uh-huh. to realign with myself again. It sounds crazy. I wasn't going to find it here. I stepped out of it realigned myself now I'm back here it's like my friends even vouch for this that I was a different person for the person who went out to the person coming back I went out with a short little afro come back with these (laughs) dreads with shells in my hair Mm. Um, it was a big and walking barefoot everywhere and it was like what Mm. happened to him I think I just reconnected with myself reconnected with nature Mm. and reconnected with my passion which was back with the sax and music that itself was brought me back to the present time of now really and what you were saying there about meeting people along the way everybody has a purpose right and so even people who challenge you through life are soulmates to help you grow and to challenge you to grow and maybe in ways that you don't necessarily feel like you want to but (laughs) (laughs) at the time i really do believe in that and i've come over the last few years to really understand that You were talking about, oh, you came back a different person. Mm -hmm. I like to think that we're already who we're meant to be, but we're just removing the barriers and the blocks that we've built up over the years of thinking those were the things that we were supposed to be. And that as we start to shed those things and we let go of them, releasing resistance, all of that, we get back to what is actually true security and true certainty you were talking about that earlier like people navigating life trying to control their circumstances so that they feel secure and safe but actually the only true safety and security is knowing yourself 
and being able to show up in every situation as your authentic self. That is true safety and security to me. I totally 100% agree. And I think that's the bit which I would like to encourage anyone who's listening or anyone on their journey, get back to trusting you mm-hmm. and getting back to being with you and get back to valuing yourself again. Because I feel like things out there are all distractions from ourselves. Social media is a big part of it. We can all kind of look at how everything we think it is, but it's not real. So we have to go back to ourselves. And we are real. Who we are, we're all real. So it's go back to what is real, which is us, the center point, the core, and work from the core outwards. And I feel like sometimes people work from outwards and forget about the core. And it has a massive effect on us and and the the mental side of things as well. It leads actually into one of the things that I was going to ask you about, because I think music, like any creative endeavor, is wildly personal, or at least that's how I've come to experience it. So even in the creation of this podcast, or I think about you know meditations that I write, or I've spoken to painters and poets, artists of all different kinds, and although there's this feeling of flow and almost like a need for the creations to come forward through us, right? Yeah. It can feel really vulnerable putting them out into the world. And so I'm just curious, does that resonate? And what's that experience been like for you? It's been an interesting journey reflecting on that. The place I want to go down and deep into is people who want to engage with their own selves in life and what they're doing. For myself, what I'm trying to engage with is you're looking at what's going on presently and you're looking at what's happening around you. And there's a lot of stuff right now that I would like to touch upon. There's a lot of stuff right now that I find are affecting people with decisions they're making and trying to get reconnected with themselves. What I mean by that is I find like things like social media, news, politics. Right now, there's a lot of distrust. People are now paranoid. I feel like there's a massive, massive awakening. Mm-hmm. I feel like people, which is amazing, questioning things. I think people are, are challenging things. It's very much right now we're in this ball where I've never witnessed this in this time of being on this planet, this kind of energy at the moment. And it's very hard to give, I suppose, advice because everything feels like it's really up in the air. Everyone needs to go back to themselves and everyone has their own path and their own journey and their own puzzle Mm -hmm. to work out right now and their own puzzle to solve. There isn't a universal answer for everyone with what can solve anything. Everyone's designed uniquely. And I feel like there's a journey that people should not be afraid of that you need to all do to discover or to get the answers that you need. I echo that. I think that we are in a massive state of flux. It's actually very exciting in many ways to see people questioning 
yeah, that. yeah, let's get a yeah, like about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> rather I than think that's exactly it. You know, rather yeah. than getting swamped and and pessimistic about what's going on in the world, because it can be mm. very overwhelming and and very scary at times with some of the things that we're witnessing. But I do think that there is this great awakening, questioning of all of these constructs that we passed down over generations as to how things are supposed yeah. to function, how we're supposed to live. I think it's like a giant pattern interrupt. People are starting to go like, hold on a second. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, this isn't working anymore. And as you were saying, yes, there's always going to be this collective ripple effect, but that has to start within in terms of question what are your values? What works for you? What resonates for you? How do you want to show up in the world every day? To me, it really just boils down to, are you going to show up with fear? Or are you going to show up with love? And that's love for yourself, love for others, love for what you're doing, what you're creating in the world, what you're offering, love for nature, because we are nature, and yeah. getting right back to the foundation of connection to self and everything else because everything is interconnected and totally, unified totally totally agree and it, i think you've chosen some great words first of all be excited right now this is an amazing time in history to be a human mm -hmm. i can't encourage this anymore i can't support this anymore i listen to a lot what's going on i don't absorb it like a sponge but i mm -hmm. listen i'm selective of what i do absorb but Looking at the bigger picture, for anyone who's listening, this is the best time in history to be living as a human being because what's happening right now, energy and the spiritual energy shift at the moment, this is going to go down in the biggest change in human history mm -hmm. because people are deciding to stop going on repeat. thing. They want to make a change, do something different, and they want to be a lot more grounded and connected with nature mm. and strangely enough that has been slowly chipped away previously over time mm -hmm. for us as human beings mm -hmm. but there is a massive return to it as you were saying it's like how do you choose to nourish yourself what are the things that you're taking in and i'm not just talking about food i'm talking about media i'm talking about the places you spend your energy what am I absorbing versus yeah. what am I choosing to witness and not mm -hmm. let it permeate <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Into yeah. me, right? Become <laughs> yeah. a part of who I am. Like, how do I actually witness what's happening in the world without it dictating how I act? Yeah, we have more control than what people think. Like, mm. I found that the pandemic affected the news, the amount of people listen to the news, because people just got so fed up of it being on repeat. What's happened now is that people are starting to go onto YouTube, podcasts, and that's where they seem to be getting all their their news and information by listening to discussions and they, at least mm -hmm. they're getting something which is not controlled the people are speaking freely mm. of their mind whether it resonates or not they've still been given the choice of freedom to speak and i think people are more resonating or going towards that at the moment because people are feeling like they need something a lot more real in their life they need a lot more of the real conversation you're seeing it within the music industry there's a lot of independent artists which are getting so much support instead of being a people going down the record company route you can see right this is such a massive shift at the moment and i'm loving it because it shows that you're just not on your own there's a lot more people like yourself which are out there and they want something different they want they're, they're kind of fed up with what's been happening 
I don't say what's been happening is 100% bad, but what's not bad is change. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we got caught up into this, like change is a negative. I don't think it is. I think the whole purpose of change is growth. And I think growth is one of the most important things as a human being. And I feel like some of us, we've got stuck without growing. Some of us go backwards. Some of us are happy just to stay still. I'm all about growing. And I think too, it's it's one of those things. <laughs> I like to think that we're maybe all on a spiral going upwards. Well, at least if we're <laughs> if we're consciously working on ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And it comes back to what we were talking about earlier is that that want to come home to yourself. Like if you are yeah. actually, yes, you're right. There are some people that at this stage, it feels safer to just remain the same. And whether they're going backwards or not, I hope not for them, but everybody's journey is their own. And I, I really do believe that people have to do their own thing and we have to let them. This is it. That's where we say non-resistance and that's where the flow comes back to what you yeah. were saying at the beginning. Because when you let someone be, and even if you let yourself be, that's where the flow is, mm. you know? And I feel that's really important. So I totally agree with that. Just returning back to, I mean, we could talk about this forever. <laughs> I know. We're bad. Oh, by the way, guys, this is going to be a five-hour episode. Yeah, just to let you know, right? This is me, me and Jen, yeah, we're dangerous when it comes to conversations. Heads up. I mean, this is this is literally how we met. I turned around yeah. and said, why is life so complicated? <laughs> there you go. You got it, guys. There you have it. <laughs> so welcome, welcome to uh, what this has all been about. But. Yeah. We've talked a lot about passion, non-resistance, allowing your passions wow. to come forward, right? So not not actively necessarily seeking for things, but actually just getting curious about what's flowing, what's thriving, where am I being pulled towards versus, oh, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. Oh, I gotta do this. I have to do that. I don't feel like I've asked you about yet. And the experience of sharing that passion with others. So through producing your own music, through mm -hmm. teaching music, and then really through performance, the magic that it is to get up in front of a group of people and connect through the music that you are putting out into the world. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe you could just tell us a little bit about how it feels for you and what that experience has been like of sharing your passion with others. This one's the easy part. <laughs> so one thing I've realized when doing the performances and sharing with people, it's, it's this thing, I call it like a spiritual circle you create. It's you performing and you're giving the energy to the audience and then the audience gives you the energy back to yourself. What happens there is that you create this kind of energy and connection that is, it's called, I believe, and I've always shared this with other musicians and artists, it's called a moment. And sometimes when you're in a moment, it's all about being present. And when you're presence it means you're right here right now I love creating because people are right there in the moment and you're creating this energy and vibrations which I'm always drawn to vibrations and funny enough I'm a musician <laughs> we seem to create is vibrations but mm -hmm. um, I didn't understand that till later on because I find that being spiritual vibrations are so powerful for human beings mm -hmm. now when I teach I never knew that I would get so rewarded with teaching a student the saxophone or music than I do today. Because I find like I'm relearning stuff that I enjoy relearning. I feel like my students are teaching me. Mm -hmm. 
mm. a lot more than they think. Like they appreciate what I'm doing for them, but I feel like I'm learning so much more again. I've grown. I'm a lot more wiser. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean you know everything. Mm-hmm. So I always Absolutely. love that. That's the beautiful thing I love about teaching. It's not like I come in with an ego or arrogance saying, I know everything, listen to me or whatever. I find every individual student, I find they all have a different way of teaching. I never have a, a blueprint saying this is the way and I'm going to teach everyone the same way. I love adapting to different students. I have two right now amazing students, one called Bobby, the other one called Ollie. Totally different. They both have their own style of learning. They also reward me. You've given somebody a tool that they can explore with. Whether they fulfill it, who knows? In this tool, from experience, I know that can open up doors. So that's the, like the teaching side of things. When it's come to the performance side of things, I mentioned to you earlier about doing performing arts. Mm-hmm. Something about being on the stage and being able to express yourself. When I was younger, I didn't look deep into it. But if I look back up to it, I personally may be a person that felt like the stage was an opportunity to express myself. I maybe found the saxophone and the music as a place to express myself. And if I bring up to present day, I know definitely music is a time where I can express exactly in that moment myself. And that's the beautiful thing about performing. You get to really communicate with your audience of an emotion that is real, it's present, and it's part of the exact moment. And when it's received and you get the cheer or the smile or the engagement and it's given back to you, and then we go back to right at the beginning what I was saying, that's when you create the moment, which for most of us performers and musicians has become a bit of a drug. Mm. Okay, so you have this amazing experience that you're living over and over again every time that you're performing and you're basically in Antigua living on a high if that makes sense yeah and then what happens when it all falls apart i mean this is the the crunchy stuff of life when things are flowing and you're feeling that natural pull towards what you believe life is going to unfold for you and then things kind of go sideways and I wondered if you're willing to share some of that journey and some of the wisdom that I'm sure has come from that experience yeah of course to skip straight to the end and I'll come back to the beginning it was a very hard pill to swallow when it came to the end it took a little while as well to get over it I suppose you'll never be over it because it's like a scar that and a wound, should I say, that just now and then reminds you it's still there and what you had and what you don't have. But that's just a small part of this whole adventure um, and this whole chapter because Mm. let's say we're on a scale of percentage. That bit was, let's say, the 2%. The rest of the journey was just 98% of living and being exactly where I should be and doing exactly what I should be doing. My uncle always says, live in the dream. I told mm. him I'm in the reality. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that got him as well, because it's always his famous quote, live in the dream. And I remember to, when I was speaking to my dad to pass on the message saying, I'm actually living the reality. And that reality was, uh, I wasn't dreaming anymore. I was there. 
I was with this band that I've dreamt about being with, like the musicians in the band were, everyone was a, a force of nature, every single one of us. And that came across through our performances for anyone who had seen us, because you couldn't take your eyes off anyone. You're like, anyone you turn to, somebody was doing something on that stage or in that performance. Mm -hmm. And not only that, behind the scenes, which a lot of people didn't see, the work ethic that we all had was second to none. All we did was thinking about writing music, working on the next album, and practicing for the performances. And we were, by the end of the whole antique experience, we have completed like three albums. We've done about eight music videos. And what everyone needs to know that we were a self-made band. So the videos, editing, juicing and studios, the albums, it was all done by all of us. No outside forces. When we done our performances, we will set up the stage, set up our speakers, our PA speakers and all that, and take them down after the gigs, after playing. And each gig was on average three hours with no break. That is us as a band of how much we absolutely loved what we're doing. So I wanted to give that background because just to understand when it was all taken away, how much it kind of like you were lost because when, you, when you're when you all in, and I'll be honest with you, I, be, I came from the city life of London. I was in a driver's job for eight years, questioning everything, thinking, how am I going to get out of this job? And I, as I explained, went away, met the guys, then went, made the decision to live in Antigua full time. And I always remember, I think I was sitting at one of the bars on the beach, cliche, I remember just looking, I think it was on the screen. They had the TV there and had like BBC, like World News or something like that. And you could see there was just all floods and all that happening around the UK. Probably in a in a bit of fate. <laughs> well, I don't know, maybe fate come bit me back on my backside. But I remember just laughing, saying, speaking to the locals, saying, look, I used to live there. <laughs> I ain't going back. <laughs> I ain't going back there. Like, <laughs> look at this. And it's funny because when it was seasonal work, we used to play from October to May. Everyone would kind of do their own thing or we'll, we'll try to do some tours. But the reason we used to do that because it used to be hurricane season. Mm -hmm. So if I look at the seasons of the UK, so when we used to come back, it used to be their summer. And then when we used to leave, we used to leave before the UK winter. So I got to miss out the cold spell of the UK for about three years. And I thought I'd have figured it out. Wherever I was moving, I was thinking, I'm just never going to feel that cold again. Don't get me wrong, I know a lot of people love it, and there is benefits of cold, but for me, it just doesn't register as much with me as it does with some people. So I thought it was it. I saw myself, I really got on well with the community, and the community really supported us as a band, especially one occasion when we was playing one of our gigs at a famous place called Skullduggery, which I think you might remember because we used to play there every Tuesday. We used to say it, Tuesday is the new Friday, Sound Citizens doing a thing. And we're performing this song called Got Milk, mm -hmm. right? And because it's such a small, small area, everyone knows us and everyone knew where we lived. And then mostly of our performances must be there for, we're away for about five hours from my house. Our house got robbed, laptop, passports, all of that. And that was within the first three months of being with the band. See that the back door's been broken in. The two Brazilians, the brothers in the band, their passport got taken. My laptop got taken. So we didn't have any money. They took all the money. They took all the stuff and really realized how much of a community we were surrounded by because everyone, they were giving us free food, supporting us. They came out to our gigs to make sure everyone really made an effort. And I wasn't used to that from where I've grown up of that kind of support. So I even felt more at home 
with everyone there made a lot of friends family people as well there was a a lot of people really supported the band we really brought something there and they really brought something to us and really it was just like a harmonious period in my life where i got to give something and we received just as much back and when you're in that kind of place you don't see anything else you feel like you're there and that's it but the reality is with life and that was something that i'm still learning is that things change and there's nothing wrong with change and growth it's just something i hadn't experienced before and it was very hard to let go of it and when it did get to the end because we've done three years we got to travel on the sailboat <laughs> go across from island to island We've, we went to montserrat we went to saint bart's uh, saint martin's british virgin islands dominica we just got to see so much we got to do a wedding in sicily so we flew out there to Sicily, drove to Rome, 16 hours trip to Rome. We only had one CD in our car, <laughs> which we hired. That CD was our album. Amazing. <laughs> so we were like, not kind of like torturing ourselves, but we decided to make up our own radio station and just to keep our minds occupied for the journey. Spent a the night there in Rome. Then we flew to Vegas because we had a wedding to play at Vegas. That was just epic at the Mandarin Hotel. You can imagine all these experiences that we I felt like I was living the absolute dream. And I was. And then I can correct myself and say it was a reality because I wasn't dreaming. I was there. I'm proof of that. To Vegas and living it up like a, as the band does in Vegas. And then we flew back to Antigua to do the next season. So it was like that was the life. We were constantly with each other. There was pros and cons. There was more pros, but the cons were because we were living and we was in e each other's pockets 24-7. We hadn't mastered out the balance of space mm. really, and time just to kind of be with ourselves or just kind of do something which is separate from the band. And that created, obviously, uncomfortable moments, uncomfortable conversations. And uh, and when you put alcohol or rum mixed with that, <laughs> that definitely in enhances and uh, magnifies emotions it was all a learning curve i wouldn't change one thing about it it's just sad that what happened at the end was and it was going to happen because when you got five in the band and you need all five mm -hmm. one person different decision the band's finished there's no replacement there's no one can oh i'm good that person can step in and continue it got to that place with the uh one of us made the decision that yeah that's it we're we're done and it's funny because it's kind of personal, so it's not like I'm going to drop any names or anything into yeah, of course. it. Because it's a, it's a very sensitive subject, and I, I respect the band and what we experienced. But um, it was a hard one to take for a lot of us and couldn't quite understand because we was in such an amazing place of we were there. So we were basically going to be like getting signed. We were going to get that deal, whatever. We were right there, and it was just such a hard time to accept and a weird time to accept that it wasn't going to happen and all, and all that hard work for three years all the hours we put in yeah that was a difficult one we met we think we've done about something like 340 gigs in three years we were animals like workaholics and again what got us through that because people probably it probably sounds exhausting was uh just the passion the love for it in a nutshell, that was that was it. And then coming back to the UK was the hardest thing because I went from having my own place and having decent money and a backlog of money and, and then that was all gone. And then I was back in the UK, was back to my friends sleeping on sofas and just couldn't understand like what happened. 
like one minute I was down near the beach, down with the locals, just really at peace. And then I was back here trying to work out what I'm going to do. It was hard and that affected because a lot of my friends saw me come back and they've been following my journey. They were happy to have me back, but also saw that I wasn't fully back. Mm-hmm. Because they're my great friends, they were, they were patient with me, especially my partner in crime, Anna. She was this absolute rock for me coming back. I absolutely salute her. There was times where I wasn't a good person to be around. I didn't know my bearings of a place that I made a spiritual decision to leave. And then I'm back here prematurely. Mm. So I just thought, right, okay. It took about a year. I think me and the bass player, Bruno, we came back to the UK. He came back with his girlfriend and we decided to see if we can carry on as a duo doing something else. We started to mess around with different ideas and that. And we had some fun, but it just wasn't the same. And it was just very difficult. And then uh, COVID came. That's a whole new chapter because that was the other thing that kind of, in a strange way, woke me up. Mm-hmm. First of all, just a reflection on, you know, we were talking earlier mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the people that come into our lives. Yes. And I think that there is something so beautiful about chosen family and people that just fully accept you for who you are, regardless of how you're showing up Mm -hmm. because they know who you truly are. Yes. I also have a small but mighty crew who have been like your Anna. Yeah. And then listening to you, it just brings up, and I'm sure it does for our listeners too, Mm -hmm. those people to the forefront of your mind and just the endless gratitude that you feel for People who are able to hold you when you can't hold yourself. Yeah. Yes. Definitely realize it and it definitely brings confirmation. It's still good to get the confirmation because when you're not good and you're real low, they always seem to be there. Well, and I think a a big part of our conversation that we've been having is about returning to yourself. And we also talked about people who come along to encourage you and to support you, but also to challenge you. Dealing with disappointment of all shapes and forms is really how we return to ourselves so that whatever's next can come from, you called it the core. So it's like, okay, maybe I wasn't being fully myself in this chapter, even though I felt like I was in flow. 100%. Something was not quite there for me. And for everyone else, I have I really do believe that if something's not right for you, it's not right for the other people involved and vice versa. It's just really important to have conversations about the crunchy times because they are what shapes what's next. Thank you, first of all, for being able to share this part of your journey because, as you said, it's personal and it's vulnerable. But I think it's really helpful for everybody to understand that when we choose to live our passions It's one thing to be disappointed if you're living a life that you're not fully in and fully excited about. Yeah. And it's another to be living what you think is the ultimate. Mentioning earlier in the conversation about pros and cons of choosing to make your your passion your profession. And this is certainly one of them. It's not the end, though. And although I'm sure it was a rude awakening, I was thinking about you talking about uh, your first trip to Antigua and coming back after just two weeks and being like, 
oh no. <laughs> was, I thought that was a come down and then after three years, I thought, oh, that's yeah. a, <laughs> a little bit of a crash landing. Yeah. But at least you had some couches to land on. Oh man, exactly. There's cardboard boxes out there and especially in the winter. Perspective for all of it. But mm. I would love to know a little bit more if you don't mind sharing. Yeah. How have you entered this new chapter after returning to yourself. So what you're doing now is I think really coming from the core of you. Yeah. I remember having, well, I didn't know it was COVID, but it was that Christmas period leading, well, leading up to COVID. And I remember having this, this cough. I lost my, I lost my voice, but I still carried on. Like, I just remember it was like, oh, it's just one of those. And I just still carried on with my day. Yeah, I think it was the Friday night. I was at my local pub with my friends because the weird feeling was, oh, it felt like this is the end, <laughs> but it wasn't. Mm. But the way the energy was around in the pub, like when the bell went for the last order, people were ordering four drinks as if these were going to be the last drinks they was going to have. And this must be some spiritual thing connected with the universe or something. But I remember the night before I said, all right, Rubes, we're going to have to be ready for tomorrow. I think it's time for the big reset. Mm-hmm. And that was me saying that before the whole words came up, before mm-hmm. in the news, like, oh, this is the big reset. I felt there was going to be some sort of reset, not what they were saying on the news. I thought for myself, there's going to be a lot of people, my close friends, because they've done a lot for me. I thought I'm, I'm definitely going to be there for them. I can foresee that this is going to be challenging mm-hmm. for certain individuals within my circle. Yeah, and then the first day came and it was, I was on my own at my friend's flat, Anna, and she was with her family. When you're on your own, it was a, it was a weird one. It's just that weird human interaction, like something which is so important for us. And when you don't have it, it was just really strange. At the beginning, you thought, oh, this is, this is okay. You're talking to friends through a laptop video, but it wasn't the same i be honest with what kept me going, there was all these things on Facebook where you had like friends who were DJing in their bedroom doing live streams and you just put your headphones on and you just kind of get through it. But yeah, it was a strange period, but it did give me a chance to reflect on myself. When the world stops, it does definitely magnify that. I knew there needed to be change. I knew I needed to get a little bit of what I had from Antigua and see if I could still have that in the UK. Um, I did make a decision that I have a real connection with the sea. I needed to make a move, if I can, to somewhere which is near the sea in the area I'm living now. It's called Brighton and Hove. I moved down there when it was just coming towards the end of the first lockdown. Everyone was just down on the beach. They had this whole thing with social distancing. But everyone still could be out there. You've got a clear mind. You feel like you're outside. A lot of people are locked in. But in Brighton, everyone was outside maintaining a distance and all that stuff. And I just felt for my mental well-being, I just felt myself just getting like, um, I was healing from whatever that enclosed claustrophobic cabin fever period I went through. Moving down to Brighton and Hove definitely started to give me connections back and see people and interactions. But I've got to tell you, that was just, when I look back at it, it's got to be the most craziest time I've ever experienced in my life of just the behavior of people. It's going to be a period where I'm just never, for my logical brain, I'm just never going to get 
what made sense from that. And seeing my friends for the first time, and we're all not sure how to engage. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Like, talk about something, some entity doing a number on connections. That was it. Engagement, interaction, concerned. You were also concerned for them. Even you were concerned that they were concerned. There was a lot for the head, but we're here now. We're out of that, whatever that chapter was. And from that, this whole agency stuff with my line of work, because I said, right, I'm going to turn solo. I joined up with an agency just before the first long lockdown. So I couldn't get any work. And I was just working on my friend's constructions, as I, as I was saying. And then as soon as the doors open, the agency's work, the sax gigs work just came in flooding. And like I said, it's just been nonstop ever since. I think it's so interesting to reflect on that period of time, not just in the lockdowns and the the solitude and the return to to self because you really had no other option, but also the sort of reintroduction to one another, re-engagement with your friends, people that would have been a no-brainer. Of course, you'd go in for a hug. Now you're, I want to make sure that you feel safe, I feel safe, we feel safe. Yeah, you know whatever that looks like. There was a a lot of confusion, and then b this foundation of fear. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, we can look at it like a massive social experiment of what happens when fear takes over. Yeah, how does that play out on a collective level? But most importantly, because it's the only thing we can control, mm-hmm. is really looking at yourself. The questions that it brought up in everyone are things that apply to our daily life. Like, how do we actually want to live and show up in the world? Recognizing that we are all intrinsically interlinked. That's one thing that COVID really highlighted was how reliant we all are on one another. The things that we had taken for granted of having this open, easy world, being able to see each other, hug each other, like that people were so excited to go out to do things together that I can imagine for you. And once again, just returning back to the magic of how things unfold, Mm -hmm. you were in position with an agency ready Mm -hmm. to go out and play and to create something that people were really craving for a long period of time. And I think that that's the big highlight for me is that we crave connection. Oh, yes. And when that's taken away, we come to really realize that, that is such a core part of being human is our connection to one another. Definitely. Look, I can be on my own. I'm a people's person. That's why I love what I do. My gives, I love meeting new people. I love engagement. I love conversations. That's why I feel like for a podcast like this, <laughs> it's difficult for me to try to keep everything into a category of highlights because I can just engage with yourself for long periods of time just like mm-hmm. our age of anyone but i did question about one thing was probably a different parallel universe i was thinking how would i have survived being on the island with the lockdown mm. it's way i feel like being in the uk closer to my friends there than being on the island actually put me in better stead so it's weird how things worked out i think there was actually i was benefited from being in the uk with the lockdown than I thought I would be with um, the Caribbean. 
that's just me personally. Maybe not because I've never got to experience it, but I remember thinking like maybe this was the best spot to be when it all happened. Yeah, I think that was uh, my path had been chosen and uh, it was time to go solo. And I'll be honest with you, I'm absolutely loving it. You actually said, I believe that your life is already mapped out. And when you release resistance, Mm -hmm. you're on the path. As much as the band breaking down was an extremely painful part of your life, it allowed you to be there for your loved ones in all shapes and forms Yeah, through what was an extremely difficult time. I think everything unfolds the way that it's supposed to. I think that we're exactly where we're supposed to be. And I hope that anybody listening, maybe you're going through a difficult time where you do feel like things are falling apart. I hope that you can hear this conversation that we're having and maybe feel a little bit of relief that you're not alone and that it really does work out. It sure does. Living proof. (laughs) Living proof, yes. (laughs) Just so that people who are listening know where to find you and what you're up to, let's talk about your podcast. So I've started off a new podcast called Freck's Knows Best, which is Freckles. That's why it's called Frex Knows Best. It's a podcast where I decided to come up with an idea was communicating with and, and having conversations with different musicians, performers, all of that within my universe with the line of work I'm doing full time and trying to get a bit of a background and stories of what you've heard today, where it all began, what they're up to now and where they want to take it. So if there's anything you want to find me, that's on YouTube, my other alter ego is Basax Music. You'll be able to find me on Instagram and also www.basaxentertainments.co.uk. So um, they're the places to find me. I'd love to know what cause you've chosen for us to support this month. From what I was reading, you had, was it two choices or was it like a choice of many causes? The idea is that you choose for your episode because... If you have something that you would like me to give $100 to, then... <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know this. That's when you know this is real, guys. This is live. I didn't this know is this. the real deal. <laughs> this is the real deal. But there's many... I'm just I'm trying to think of many causes. I personally like to do a lot of causes myself because normally I create the cause and kind of contribute that way. That's why when I started this podcast, I was like, oh, it would be so cool to let each of the guests choose something that's important to them that I give to because it means that I like to see money as energy, right? In the past, I've always been donating to things that I find and things that resonate with me. And I thought, how cool would it be to expand that network and be able to give energy to all of these things around the world that I may not have come across if I hadn't been in conversation with all of these people. So that's the kind of idea behind the recreation donation is that I want you to choose something that's meaningful for you so that I can put energy towards what you'd like to support you know in the world. You're, you're, I, I love what you're doing. And anyone who's listening, this is this girl is very special because the energy in her direction of what she wants to do has always been amazing. I understand now totally what this is. But I've always been paranoid with just kind of giving it to something I haven't researched a lot about. Because I've never mm-hmm. trusted that the money which I'm giving or you're going to donate, should I say, is going to go to the cause, go straight to it, benefit what the cause is. But I'll definitely do some research. I'll be happy, more than happy to jump back on here and let you know which one yeah. I'm going to d- donate to. 
Okay, so I've chosen, and it was something I was pondering on for a little while, but it's very relevant with where I'm at right now. It's called Save the Children. They concentrate on children, safety, health, and learning. I saw a film the other day called Sound of Freedom. It kind of touches on some subjects of like children trafficking. There's so much of that in the world. And it's really sad because I believe one of the most important beings on this planet are children because they carry this innocence, which is so powerful and it's so instinctive, the way they react and how they do things. And as we've got older and all of us understand, because I think majority of the listeners are adults, life has become a distraction and we've lost that innocence. Uh, we lost that identity and that core of who we are. So I felt like a charity like this, if we can try to do something which supports the children, protects them, gives them what they need just to continue on their path of innocence and non-disturbance. I love Save the Children. It's a wonderful charity. I completely agree with you in terms of if we want to actually heal what's happening in the world and, and allow that to come forward, then starting with children is exactly where we need to be placing energy because they're going to be the ones making decisions yes, in the future. Root. instead of dealing with symptoms. Let's get to the root cause. So thank you so much for choosing this charity. I'm really looking forward to supporting it. And, and thank you for it. <laughs> yeah, of course. And then before we end this beautiful mm -hmm. conversation, I do have one more question left. I hope you saw it in the email. I'm not sure if you did. <laughs> <laughs> we only find out now. <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> okay. What do you think is the meaning and purpose of life, the universe, and everything? Oh, yes, I did see this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a hard one not to see. I think nature is the answer. If you look around everything which is around you, if you see anything, and I think I mentioned this before, if you see anything growing, I think that is the answer of life. Life is about growth. If you look at a plant and anything which is going in its direction, everything's growing. If you look around you as you're born, you're growing. Anything which is in, improving and growing, I believe is the blueprint of life. I found that one probably about eight years ago and it just resonated with me. And I feel like if you ever feel like you're doing something which stops somebody else growing, it means you're going against life. If you stop yourself growing, you're going against life. But if you're giving someone support, you're helping them grow. You're supporting the blueprint of life. And if you're helping yourself grow, you're supporting the blueprint of life. And when that happens, I believe everything else like you see in the world, everything supports everything when it's, you're on the right path of growing in life. Wow, what a perfect way to end this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. Boom. <laughs> I really enjoyed today. I knew I was going to, and Amen. I love how deeply we delved. <laughs> we went deep. I wasn't even expecting that, but we went deep. Very true. But uh, no, I so appreciate your time today. And to reconnect is just always such a wonderful experience experience and I look forward to doing that more. I just wish you all the best with what you've got going on and just keep putting all that amazing energy out there into the world because I really do you were talking about vibration. I really do believe in the ripple effect and that when we go within and we're bringing forward our authentic self, which is exactly what you're doing, then it can't help but 
contribute to that growth that you said that life, the universe, and everything is all about. Thank you for having me, Jenny. Uh, Jennifer. <laughs> sorry, Kim, sorry, Thank you for having me, Jen. And uh, honestly, it's been a pleasure being on your podcast. And I wish you all the best. And let's continue this. I'm ready for part two whenever you're yeah, ready. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. This month's recreation donation is in support of Save the Children UK. As you now know from exploring with Ruben and I in this episode, this charity works to provide safety, education, and basic necessities to children around the world. They also specifically work to combat child trafficking by preventing and protecting children from being exploited, while also helping children who have survived to return home and reintegrate into their families and communities. Your support directly helps Save the Children's work as well as making their advocacy campaigns, impact on public policy, and collaboration with society on all levels possible. Whether you can volunteer your time, money, or your voice, we hope you will head over to our Patreon page to find out different ways you can support their unique version of recreation for the world. Please take the time to let us know what the stories we explored in this episode meant to you. And if you do take action to support this month's cause, thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Recreation to Recreation. If you or someone you know has a unique and inspiring story to tell, make sure to reach out so we can share it with the world. Until next time, keep happy, keep healthy, and keep exploring.